Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. They're not solid like a striper. No. They're not like you can't like give them a punch and send them back. That's an old law, and it's almost as unvalid as the New Jersey State largemouth record. When they got the fish close enough to see it roll in their headlamps, doctor's young daughter blurted out, Holy shit! This is the dumbest, just most hokey thing ever. Maybe even on par with a penis lure. Bent! Good morning, degenerate anglers. Welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that ranks Captain Ron, Backdraft, and Nothing But Trouble among the greatest movies ever made, though not necessarily in that order. I'm Joe Cermelli. I'm Miles Nolte. That's, that's a solid list. I'm going to add like Pulp Fiction, Good. The Big Lebowski, and Gross Point Blank to that list. Gross Point Blank? Oh, yeah. Really? Absolutely, dude. Really? Such an underrated film. So, it, such a good film. So, huh. so John Cusack plays a hitman, yeah. in the middle of an identity crisis. Yeah. who goes to his ten-year high school reunion. It's just, it's brilliant writing. It's great acting. It's just very, very dark humor, which I always appreciate. And it just happens to be the 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 theme of this week's show. I mean, they all have husbands and wives and children and houses and dogs, and you know they've made themselves a part of something, and they can talk about what they do. And what am I going to say? Killed the president of Paraguay with a fork. How have you been? Aren't you excited? I gotta admit, dude, like I I remember the movie. And I remember thinking it was kind of funny. Like I I, I remember I enjoyed the movie when I saw it, but it, mm-hmm. it's it's not one that that I thought was so memorable, like I quoted it with my friends forever. It's no Freddie got fingered in terms of quotables, you know what I mean? I I mean, I disagree, <laughs> but I think that's true of you and most people, frankly. Like, I'm the only weirdo for my group of friends from that that era that was always quoting. I was like the lone guy who would drop the quotes yeah. and be like, uh, what? <laughs> but you're all wrong because it is straight up brilliant filmmaking. Listen, it really is. Listen, I'm gonna, I'll give it to you, and I, I anticipate that you're going to try to convince me I'm wrong throughout I, this yes, episode. I, I'm, 
And Absolutely. I, I, that is the, I welcome the whole it. goal of this episode. I welcome is it. to convince you that you're wrong. By all means, yeah. do yeah. And we're not going to be able to get into this, but I I think this is this is an argument that will appeal to you. I mean, just the soundtrack alone includes almost every good song from the late '80s, dude. We're talking about like the specials, Faith No More, Melly Mel. The score, hmm. the score for that film was actually written and recorded by Joe Strummer, who was is the it? former lead singer of The Clash. Yes. That, yes, it is a it is a great musical film. It's a tremendous selling point, like that right there. But see, I don't remember that. It's been so long since I've seen it. I don't I cannot say I remember the soundtrack. I do vaguely recall though, tell me if I'm wrong, like Aykroyd pretty much played the same character he did in Tommy Boy. Like, didn't he have like the, kind of the same thing uh, yeah. going on? There's there's there are some similarities there. I can see that. I could see that. I do not know exactly how you're going to tie this all to fishing, though. I'm I'm, oh. I'm on the journey with you. I'm excited. <laughs> the movie has absolutely nothing to do with fishing, but I'm I'm confident in myself here. I think I think there are elements to it that that uh, that, that we can draw from. We've done this before. Like we've drawn we things have. out of we weird, but we've squeezed exactly. fishing out of out of pop culture stones. So. I'm 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 confident that we can do this, right? Because this movie is is partially about coming to terms with the fact that you can never go back in time. Mm. But that doesn't mean that you should try to erase or forget the past, right? And we mm-hmm. on the show, we talk about older lures or baits or flies or materials yeah. that might not be the hot new thing, but still catch the hell out of fish. You can't go back to the days when those lures were new and and the fish hadn't seen them before, but that doesn't mean that you like ignore them or turn your back on them. Mm-hmm. And I realized that my example there is not as dramatic as say, <laughs> I don't know, saving your long lost girlfriend's father from being executed by Dan Aykroyd and professing your love to her after you murder a dude in cold blood right in front of her eyes. But you know, I think the overall lesson here is still applicable. Debbie, I'm in love with you. I know we can make this relationship work. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a <laughs> it's a giant stretch. Yes. But I do see your angle. I mean the movie's pretty heavy on the the you can never go home theme. So I'm I'm standing where my uh, living room was and it's not here because my house is gone and it's an ultimart. You can never go home again, Oatman. But I guess you can shop there. And even though it's all about him going home, I think that's totally applicable. In in fishing, it seems like most people are either complaining, right, about how things aren't as good as they used to be or mm-hmm. or glorifying the past as better than it actually was. Mm-hmm. Or they assume anything or anyone that predates YouTube has nothing useful to offer. So, for the I, for the record, yeah. both of those assumptions are are bullshit as far as I'm concerned. Uh the past probably wasn't as good as you remember and and the new shit isn't really all that superior, honestly. Uh, well put. I, I'd completely yeah. agree with you. Uh, <laughs> and that sets me up nicely because we're starting things off this week with a guy who understands the past, embraces the present, and will also be continuing to catch the hell out of fish in the future. Back again to play our trivia game, we've got Mr. Mike Iconelli. you got to be highly skilled for these f***ing shows. You understand that? Yes, I do understand. Are you well-versed there? Are you very smart man? Yes, I am. All right. Today, playing trivia, we are very excited to welcome back the one and only Mike Iconelli. How goes it, Mike? How you doing? We're good. We're good. Uh, pumped to see you again. Uh, we, as always, appreciate your time. And so you, you've been here before and you've done our Covering Water segment. 
where we rapid fire questions at you and you really have no time to think about your answers, which yeah. was a good time. We enjoyed that. Uh, and now we're going to kind of go the opposite way. It's traditional bar style trivia. So no time limits, Ooh. but more in-depth questions. Okay. Um, and I got to tell you, man, we, we worked really hard on questions for this. We Miles, had fun I with kicked, this one. Yeah, we, we kicked did. it back and forth. Trying to trying to stump you and come up with the right thing, and, and you know we we'd get so far down the line of, of approving a question, then somebody'd be like, "Of course, Mike's gonna know that it's freaking Mike Iconelli. We have to try harder. <laughs> He's gonna know." I'm really curious though. I'm I, with one of these questions. I'm very curious to see. Yeah, if you have this nugget of knowledge rattling around Ooh, in your brain. Okay. We'll see how we did. So we've got two questions for you. Uh, and while it definitely would be fun to stump you, you might sail right through these. And our effort was for naught. Um, so if you're ready to play, are you ready to play? I'm ready, guys. By the way, I just want to clear up. You you can't win anything. Like there's no, no yeah, winning. Yeah. There's nothing up for grabs here. Uh, okay. You just lose your <laughs> dignity. That's all That's all that's, okay. that's on offer here. Okay. I'm just as excited either way. So. <laughs> all right. All right. Here we go. So here we go. All right. First question. What was the skirt on the first rubber-skirted bass jig made from? Was it A, thinly sliced rubber bands, B, elastic threads unraveled from a woman's girdle, C, a rubber grass skirt that came off a souvenir hula dancer, or D, shredded latex surgical gloves? Wow. That's a, uh, you've actually stumped me right from the first question. Yes. Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> They're all very interesting. I don't. I don't know. Uh, I'm. Uh, this is honestly a guess. I'm going to say some of the original uh, old jig skirts that I remember seeing were were living rubber. They were more of a rubber type of material. So I'm going to go A. But it's a total guess. Thin, that, and that's a good guess. That's a good yeah. guess. Thinly sliced rubber bands. But it's actually B. Elastic threads unraveled from a woman's girdle. And of wow. course, that's 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 Bob Carnes who prototyped the first rubber bass jigs. And that's what he used, and and of course he's the man behind Archie Jigs, yep. which every bass angler on the planet knows. Archie Jigs, arguably the father of modern bass jigs, and they're still around today. But according to our research, the first one, woman's girdle. Yeah. Wow, that's very interesting. That's very oh. very interesting. I, I I can tell you that there is a time and a place for that style material, even today, even in 2020, with technology yeah. and new materials. When that water temperature gets cold and the fishing's tough, that old style material is still really the deal. So knowing this, I'm hopping on eBay right now and trying to find some of that. <laughs> some girdles? Just some girdles order, from, yeah. the, from the 60s. You know? well, we've, we've, we've thrown out the, the history of, of girdles in uh, lure design in the past because the, the classic fly, the girdle bug, got its legs yeah, from the same, same thing, source. The rubber legs from yeah. that. Wow. Same wow. deal. Same deal. I like it. All right, so we'll move on to question two. We'll have a little more fun with this one. You're a Jersey guy like me, so this time I'm going to test your knowledge of um, New Jersey state laws. Ooh, dumb, uh -oh. dumb, dumb state laws, though. You know how you know how every state has dumb, weird laws that are still on the books from medieval times. Sure, it's like a yeah. big thing on the internet. Yeah. Well, I uh, I did a little reading. New Jersey has a bunch of them, and according to those archaic laws. Which of the following is it illegal for New Jersey men to do during fishing season? Oh, okay. Is it A, knit, B, get married, C, plant tomatoes, or D, feud with a neighboring farm? <laughs> <laughs> 
It's funny when when <laughs> when you said I know these answers, I thought maybe you know I'm a pretty not much this, of a, one. Yeah. Not this I one. I thought you get the jig, not this one. Yeah, like I'm I'm a fishing. <laughs> you know, I like fishing. I'm a buff of the sport and information. But man, I'm just this is another one that's stumping me. I I'm gonna have to go D. What what was the fourth one? I'm going D. Feud with a neighboring farm. Feud For the record, I would have, I would no. have chosen that one as well. Just it saying. Sounds, yeah. It sounds like it has the most legality to it, you know? Well, yeah. No, but the answer is A, knit. What? Wow. So, yeah, right? So there's there's a lot of speculation online whether this is still on the books, though it was on our books. And check this out. The, the best reason anyone could come up with um, was that it was illegal for men to knit during fishing season on the island of Sark, which is one of the Channel Islands that the island of Jersey belongs to. And that's because the islands were apparently known for their famous woolen jumpers, which were a source of income. But if the men were knitting during fishing season, they weren't out fishing, which was the <laughs> island's bigger source of income. Wow. And when the Jersey Island people reestablished uh, themselves in what we now know as Dirty Jersey, this law came along with them. Wow. How about that one? I, I had nothing to do with this particular question yeah. for the record. Like, I helped with the first one, but this one's news to me, too. I, I got nothing here. This is very interesting and so weird. That's an old law, and it's almost as unvalid as the New Jersey State largemouth record. It's 1013, Robert Eastley, which he snagged at Manico Sandpons off the bed, so it should be erased anyway, but... <laughs> well, there's also a Jersey law in the book that says it's illegal to wear a bulletproof vest while committing a murder. That was another one that I found. Wow. Very so, backwards. Very backwards. Yeah, it makes sense. Very much so. Well, <laughs> I you know what? I'm happy about the jig one. I like I stumped I stumped Mike Iconelli on an old bass fishing lore question. So um you might not have won today, but like we said, there was nothing to win anyway, but we certainly appreciate you coming by to play, man. I appreciate it. They were fun questions, and you might hear those same questions on Ike Live because they're so good. I'm stealing them and asking our guests over there now. Until we started working on the show and doing this research, man, I had no idea how influential girdles were in lure design. <laughs> I was totally unaware. Neither did I. I had, I had no clue. I had no clue. Yeah. I actually remember, like, I remember those old school rubber legs and skirts that you used to be able to find that were the, the super fine, yeah. thin elastic bands. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They, they, and they look, they do, they look just like what pops out of, of the waistband in your underwear, your sweatpants when they're like, they give up on life and it's just done. Right. <laughs> it's those same bands of elastic and those ones don't hold up as long as the silicone stuff, but I think they do have more wiggle. Yeah. Mm. See, I like natural rubber myself more than the silicone versions. You know what I mean, Vern? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to take that. I know. I, I see what you're doing there, and I'm not going to let you manipulate me that way. Uh, that also does set me up for the sale bin you put yeah. together this week. Oh yeah, it absolutely does. Uh, I see the silicone connection clearly, uh, but but not totally sure how it fits your your gross point blank theme. Oh, don't overthink it, man. It's not that deep. It's not okay, deep good. at all, actually. The film, like we said, is a super dark comedy. There's a lot of murder and gore and blood, but it's still a comedy. And the sale bin you dug up from the crypt this week, uh, I'd say it clearly fits that dark comedy mold. Well, why did you put the head in the paper? You don't know what I'm getting at. Well, you, you didn't have to be so hurtful with me, so angry. Today's sale bin item was sent our direction by listener Billy Warren. 
And gee, we can't thank him enough. And Miles and I had two very different gut reactions to it. Yeah. Okay. Now, you, sir, you're you're taking it at face value. But for me, this has triggered my inner Clarice Starling. Okay. And it feeds right into my my obsession with like the hunt hunt a killer documentaries, you know, forensic science and uh-huh. profiling psychopaths. Yeah. That's what I do on the weekends. I'm in a club. Um <laughs> <laughs> The fishing thing is all fake. It's all uh, anyway. it's a side hustle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, regarding this Selwyn item, th- I am convinced there is, is more than meets the eye. As far as I am concerned, there is more than meets the eye. Okay. No. There, I'm, See? Dude, I'm, dude, there isn't. I'm See sorry. what you're doing? <laughs> I, there, there is not, but I, I agreed that we should do this sale bin because I think, I think it's going to be fun to listen to you build your weird paranoid case. And, and like I said, it fits nicely with the dark comedy theme that we put together for this episode. So I'm happy to mm-hmm. have it, but I think you're yeah. totally wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Until you see, until you find out what's in the box, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, and I, I, I actually think you, you agreed to do this because there's a part of you that doesn't want to be wrong. You, you don't want to be the naysayer that overlooks puzzle piece. Number one in, in a, in a sick drama. I'm confident will unfold after the show airs. Okay. Anyway, uh, listen up. This one's for the all the uh, dare I say internet sleuths out there. So this this post comes from Facebook Marketplace in Wisconsin, and the title is very simply "Finger Lures!" Exclamation point. Finger lures. Finger right? lures. Finger lure. Okay. The finger lures are fifteen dollars a piece, and in the photo, and mind you, because this is a clue, this is part of it. Mind you, there's only one photo available. Just one. There's not 10 photos to scroll through like other Facebook marketplace, but it's one photo, okay? And in it, we see three severed human fingers that have been through-wired and turned into killer inline spinners. Oh, that was bad. That was bad. Almost as bad as these lures. The lures are terrible. (laughs) Like, I I don't... (laughs) You're not painting how crappy these lures are. If you go, if you kind of start from the back and move to the front, you got one treble hook on these, and and between the three examples in the photos, only two of the trebles even seem to match. So it's just right. like mix and match spare parts assembly. Then there's like a few colored beads and a, a willow leaf spinner blade that's resting right on top of the fat severed end of the finger, mm-hmm. and I don't even think that thing will turn. I, I, don't, I don't think it would turn There's either. There's no way that I, would turn. I, I don't think this lure would have any action. No. Continue. The, the, the wire then <laughs> continues through the finger, out the tip, to another series of beads, and then and then the line tie eye. So essentially, you've got a large and frankly shitty-looking spinner with a human finger, or a fake human finger, I should say, skewered in the middle of it. <laughs> I, I, I would like to call this an overpriced gimmick lure to catch suckers. That's how I would describe it. Okay, so we've described it, but now I'm going to, because this is where it gets dark, right? All the description of the item says is silicone rubber severed finger fishing tackle. That's a tongue twister. Say that five times fast. But that's it. That's all it says. And you're probably thinking, right, this is the dumbest, just most hokey thing ever. Maybe even on par with a penis lure. That's exactly what I'm thinking, yes. (laughs) Okay, Uh, and you're thinking some Momo just bought a bag of severed fingers at the pop-up Halloween store and made some novelty lures. Because he did. No, because he did not. I say nay to this. In the photo, these three lures are hanging from a piece of cardboard, right? And if if you really inspect them, as I have closely, right? First, they look too real. They just, they look too real. There is no 
out of the package faux finger I've ever seen that looks this realistic. So for even even as to say like the skin looks like it's the right level of moist. You know what I mean? Like you know how a lot of fake stuff looks dried out and like it's too pink, like perfect skin tone, like a perfect level of moisture, okay? And the amount of blood and tissue damage varies on each finger, but most telling of all, if you study the nails and the wrinkles and the knuckles, they're not uniform. They are completely unique and different, okay? If these were store-bought novelty fingers, even if the paint jobs varied slightly, the finger itself, they'd be carbon copies of each other, and they're not. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, but just because... Just because you you traffic in subpar fake fingers doesn't mean that they're the only options that exist out there for people who who want them. There are professionals in this world who make mm. realistic fake gore for a living. I'm I'm assuming mm-hmm. you've heard of of this industry called film and and television. Maybe I read not? something on Wiki about it. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, how do you know? This person didn't make the molds of the fingers and, and I don't know, maybe no. molded fingers of other family members. I don't know. I don't know. But that, that is not, that is not convincing evidence for me just because they, they don't look like the crappy fake fingers sold by the dozen at your annual Halloween pop-up doesn't prove that the <laughs> online fishing community is now dealing with its first serial killer. Like I do not buy it. I do not yeah. believe it. Yeah. And I am aware of this film and television industry, of which you speak. And yes, right, there's there's no doubt there are very talented folks that can make some damn fine severed fingers and limbs and all that stuff, right? Yes. But what are the odds this dude in Wisconsin is one of them, okay? And furthermore, I know people, <laughs> like artists and shit, right? If you have the skill to create something that perfect, okay, A, exhibit A in a court of law, why are you then turning them into really shitty lures? Why would you make something so beautiful like if, if that's your gig and turn them into shitty lures like if you have the skill to make a realistic finger you're probably the kind of person that would also do a much better job of incorporating them into a lure even if it's a fake and you knew nothing about fishing if you have that level of talent you would research that i mean it took it took someone 30 seconds to create these tops okay yeah. not the finger but like once they had to turn it into a lure 30 seconds all right okay and b exhibit b if you have that kind of talent you're using it to make 15 bucks on the internet. None of that adds up. None of that adds up. Mm. Which is why I'm saying uh. Wisconsin police put out the goddamn APB right now. <laughs> Dig into recent missing persons because them fingers is fresh. I don't care what you say. Them fingers is fresh. And uh, we here at Bent, we're fully prepared to cooperate whoever you need us no, to. No, no, do, do not implicate me in your crazy ass conspiracies. I don't want anything to do with it. And, Actually, you know what? I think the fact that they're coming out of Wisconsin supports my argument. I, I, I will admit, I don't know how this cheesehead came to be in possession of such <laughs> high-quality fake severed fingers. I'm not. Maybe they, they didn't make them themselves. Your, your argument there is solid. Maybe they bought an estate sale from some Hollywood special effects expert. I don't know. No. But if you live in Wisconsin and you have a surplus of fake fingers, what else are you going to do with them except turn them into pike lures? Like, it's that or just freak everyone out at the Lions Club brat sale. You don't have many options. <laughs> Some valid points there. You are still wrong. <laughs> like, have you, have, have you ever seen the documentary series Don't F*** With Cats? I haven't. Have you ever seen that? I haven't, no. Uh, 
It started off with an internet video that could have very easily been brushed off as fake and led to a years-long manhunt that ended up involving, like, Interpol and shit. Uh, anyway, Billy, thanks thanks again for sending this one. Hope you're okay. Hope you like this doesn't translate down to, to your suffering. Um, and you out there, if you find any human body parts being trafficked on your favorite fishing classified forum, please send that link to bent at the We're also accepting leads, theories, and anonymous tips at the same email address. Before we move on from this, there's one more thing that I feel like I forgot to mention that segment Shoot. that I got to bring up. Shoot. We can solve this whole thing for 15 <laughs> bucks plus shipping, dude. Just nope. order one. No, nope. no, nope. we cannot. Have you never seen yeah. a horror movie? We cannot do that because I ain't giving my personal info to that psycho. That's how you uh, end up becoming a finger lore. You know what I mean? Like in the past, <laughs> in the past, we've reached out to select sellers, but I, I refrained on this one because I bet he uses the short hairs for like crappie jigs and shit and the long ones for musky flies. So you go, uh, you go ahead and right. buy you one. You I, buy you right, one. I give up. I'm done. I give up. <laughs> and may, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. And maybe... Maybe the dude's not a psycho at all. Maybe maybe there's a much bigger market for, for finger lures than we think. You're a psychopath. No, no, no. Psychopath kills for no reason. I kill for money. And if that turns out to be the case, we can promise that we will cover it in a future Fish News. Fish News! That escalated quickly. All right, I got, I got a little housekeeping. I got a shout-out today. For listener Ryan, it's either Little or Lytle. I'm not sure which, but I'm going to go with Little. It happens a uh, lot around might, here. Could go yeah, either way. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to butcher another name today for sure, so just everybody deal with it. You might remember that uh, a few weeks ago, Joe, you did a story uh, about the woman who turned her pet koi into soup after they all died. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you remember that one? I yeah. think about it daily, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Were they delicious? Yeah. So <laughs> Ryan sent us an email titled, Koi for Bass Forage. In which he said, although koi may be expensive in Japan, they are not in Texas. <laughs> and uh, and so I <laughs> looked around and he's he's 100% correct about that. Dude, it turns out Texas Parks and Wildlife raises 70 million koi a year in their hatcheries that they feed to captive largemouth broodstock. Yeah. That's what they raise to feed their broodstock. And according to the, the the Texas Parks and Wildlife website, koi are easy to raise, grow fast, and lack the sharp dorsal spines, making them easy for bass to eat. So that's why they do the koi is because bass can just gulp them down and, and they won't have any spine issues. Uh, and, and Ryan also wrote us, quote, there is some real fun to be had skipping koi <laughs> sidearmed across a hatchery pond and watching a 10-pound bass jump out of the water to destroy it. He, uh, he also included a video yeah. of himself tossing a handful of koi into the brood, broodstock bass pond so uh, we could get the full effect. Check out the, check out the Instagrams to see what that looks like because it's, it's pretty fun. We'll throw, I'm, we'll throw that up, and I'm glad you dug a little deeper because when, when this first came in, I watched it, and for a second, I'm like, I, I did not understand what was going on. Like, there's just these no, little you have orange No, you have to have context. Like, but all I could think, like, now that we know this is – what if you're the person in Dallas with the beautiful koi pond out back and like you're the sucker going to PetSmart and paying $200 a koi? I'd be going there and just be like, can I just get a scoop? Like you've hey, got dude, 40 I, yeah. million of them. Just like stick can me you, a can scoop. Can you hook it up? I just want some koi. I know, I know they don't cost you guys anything. I know. And it's also weird because like you can't fish, you can't buy goldfish and use them as bait 
anywhere. Like they no. wouldn't want these koi to get out, but then like seeing them all in that race, <laughs> just feeding these giant bass, <laughs> it was cool as shit. And I, I, oh, I super I, cool. Yeah. I didn't take enough time to figure out how they started, like how koi became the thing that they started raising as, as a yeah. food source. But somewhere along the line, someone had to go like, damn, these make good bass food. Let's just raise them. Yeah. But I, I don't know how that happened. I bet there's a good origin story there. Yeah, and if you if you happen to know Ryan and you need a scoop, he could probably hook it up. Um, I yeah, no, I've, Ryan, thank you for that. It was an awesome video. We will share it. I don't have any shout outs this week, so we can we can get onto the news here. As a reminder, though, uh, this is a competition. Miles and I do not know which stories the other guy is bringing, uh, as we proved last week because we 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 had the same story. We crossed which is, swords. Which is going to yeah. happen on occasion, so we'll we'll see what happens now. And uh, at the end of all this, our audio engineer Phil gets to judge us and and pick a winner. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say one of my stories this week, just based on what I know about Phil and his hobbies and things, it's going to appeal to him and I'm going to win. I'm just just feeling, saying. Feeling confident, are but you? But you, you, yeah, I am. But you do have the lead off, so uh, that's an advantage in this game, uh, and the floor is yours. I didn't pick my stories for Phil this week for sure. I picked them based on my <laughs> own interests. And and to try and avoid crossing over with you again. And... Uh, I've been I've been going north of the border a bunch lately. Yeah, yeah. And and that so far has worked for me, and and I haven't <laughs> gone crossways with you. So I'm I'm going back. I'm, I'm kinda, going back to I will that admit, well. You've kind of claimed Canada. If I see something, I'm like, oh shit, Canada. <laughs> Miles is already there. And it's not like I'm just stuck on Canada, but I gotta say, uh, there's just so much fish news trickling down from north of the border right now. I, I can't help myself. I gotta talk about it. Um, unfortunately, the the news that I got. Coming out of British Columbia this week isn't isn't really all that great. At least, at least not if you're an outspoken advocate for public access like I am. All right, so so backstory on this. Back in 2003, a guy named Stan Cronky, Cranky, I don't know, I'll call him Cronky. <laughs> he bought the Douglas Lake Ranch, which is the largest private cattle operation in Canada. Cranky, Cronky, whatever. He is not Canadian. He's an American and one of the richest people in the world. He owns the LA Rams, Colorado Avalanche, Arsenal Football Club, and and he's married to Ann Walton, one of the signs of the Walmart fortune. So that gives you a sense of, of, of the kind of guy he is. Huh. Uh, his ranch consists of 271,000 acres of private land and access and grazing rights to over a million acres of crown lands, which are roughly the Canadian equivalent of, of BLM lands here in the States. They're, they're federally owned public land that can be leased out for grazing or other purposes. Some of those crown lands around his ranch are landlocked, meaning they're, they're completely contained within his little private property universe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And included in there are stony and mini lakes. These are relatively small lakes with really big rainbows in them. Prior to Cronky purchasing the ranch, anglers had access to these lakes. They were allowed to go and fish them and had been doing so for decades. But after he bought the property, he put up a bunch of fences and no trespassing signs uh, and and got the, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police involved and started harassing, intimidating anglers and, you know, telling him he was going to arrest them, all that stuff. And now he charges rod fees for private access to the lakes on his ranch. Okay. Okay. I'm with you. So in 2013, the Nicola Valley Rod and Game Club brought a case against the ranch, arguing that the public had historic access and easement to the lakes through a public domain road that crosses the private property. And it goes straight to these lakes, which are, again, the lakes are on public land. 
and this historic public road cuts right to them. In 2018, B.C. Supreme Court Justice Joel Groves ruled in favor of public access. The judge in that case, Groves, came down hard on both the landowners and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police for doing all that intimidation and denying access to, to public resources. Yeah. The ruling was hailed as a major win for public lands advocates in B.C. who claim that this is happening all over the province, like private landowners coming in and blocking access to, to resources that have been traditionally available to everybody. But then in November of last year, Kroenke appealed the ruling. And last week, an appeals court judge overruled the 2018 decision. The judge agreed with Kroenke's team, who assert that the public road doesn't quite touch the historic high water mark of the lake, even though it does touch the actual high water mark of the lake. The ranch's legal team argued that the judge should rule based on government survey maps from 1880, which do show the road stopping short of hitting the lakeshore. But the lake has gotten bigger, and aerial surveys show that the road has touched the lakeshore since at least 1948. Hmm. For reasons that I don't fully understand, the judge completely sided with the landowner on this one and delivered a major setback to the Nicola Rodden Game Club and public land advocates all over British Columbia. Now, not only did that Nicola Valley Rod and Game Club lose their appeal and therefore lose this access battle that they've been fighting for nearly a decade and access to these lakes that they love to fish, but the outcome puts them in serious financial trouble as well. Had they won, the province would likely have shouldered at least some of the burden of their legal costs since they were acting as proxy for the provincial attorney general fighting a court battle on behalf of the public. But since they lost, they are now on the hook for their legal fees, which are in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Not only that, they also have to pay for the billionaire Cronkies legal fees also. Right. And what? we're talking about like a local fishing and hunting club, dude. These like, Is that they like hold a Canadian wild game thing? Feeds. Is that a Canadian thing? Where no, if you that, lose that can happen here too. If you're, if you're, if you're in the wrong, if you lose, you can be on the hook for, someone else's legal fees in certain cases. I don't know the ins and outs, but I know that does happen in certain, certain situations here. Wow. And like, this is, this is just a local fishing and hunting club, dude. Like they, they, they earn money through bake sales and raffles and like wild yeah. game chili cook-off things. Like this is not a big organization and this decision could cripple them, right? They have the option to appeal to the Supreme court of Canada where they won the provincial Supreme court. They lost in the Canadian appeals court. They can go one step higher to the Supreme court of Canada but they have no way to fund that appeal because right yeah. now they're on the hook for a ton of money that they don't have. Yeah, yeah. So if they were to be able to fund it and get the Supreme Court and win, then they'd be in good shape. But they don't have that kind of money, and the person that they're up against has unlimited resources and can just continue to fight these battles against them. It's a war of attrition. And, uh, and this case resonates with so much of the privatization of public land and resources that we're, we're seeing here in the States, right? It, it's sure. actually very similar to, to a, a landowner here in Montana who for years has been fighting to change the stream access law in, in this state because right. he doesn't like it and has unlimited pockets. It's very similar to that. So the whole thing really strikes a, a personal nerve with me and like, it just pisses me off, man. And as an American, there's not a lot I can do to influence 
British Columbian politics. But I can tell you one thing. I will be donating money to the Nicola Rodden Game Club. I'm certainly not going to be able to cover the legal fees. I ain't got that kind of money. But I will be donating. And, and I, you know, if this is something you care about, I would advocate all of us should chip in a little bit here and there. But I'd also say to the Canadian listeners, like, you got to get on board with this issue especially if you're in, in BC and, and talk to your local representatives about supporting what are called right to roam laws that would uh, restore access to isolated public lands and, and stop this shit from continuing to happen up there. Cause it's, it's just gross. Yeah. It just, ugh, it just really makes me mad. I just, I just want to ask something just for, for clarification. So the land that the lake is on is still technically public land, right? Yes. But yet, you needed to pay a rod fee th- through this club to fish it. So can anybody there's no show- public access to it? Like you wouldn't have to pay a fee if you got dropped from a plane. Gotcha. Okay. And, so, and we're there. Right. I understand. So, but, the, but so this, this club then has been operating what in conjunction, wouldn't they have to have worked with cranky? In order to maintain their, I'm just missing how they. Well, they don't have access that. So they Cranky bought the place in 2003, and that's Mm -hmm. when. And soon thereafter, started locking up what this club had had access to and their membership forever. And they were just a local entity who stepped in and was like, "This is bullshit. We got to fight this." So they're the ones who brought the case against this guy who came in and changed the way that he enforced the rules. But would the ultimate win for this club then? make it accessible to anyone like if they if they get yes. their way okay yeah well that's would restore uh, public access i mean that even makes it more noble in that sense because if like you if you if you're the guy with the club water and and you can get a rod fee to do that but you're willing to fight that to essentially then lose that would you not yeah no they're they're not a club in that sense they're not they're 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 a rod and, and game club but they don't they're not accessing private water they're just like the local hangout and resource for hunters and anglers in the area gotcha Gotcha. This okay. was public water that everybody was fishing until Cronky came in and locked it up, bought the whole place, locked it up, and said, you can't fish here anymore. Well, I, I mean, I appreciate that fight, but that is some dilly of a pickle to, to get yeah. that far now. now. To have one and then have it turned around on you is just, God, that's a bitter pill. I know, but, I mean, that's that's money, man. That is that is what that is. I mean, you know, you see it with all, with all kinds of wins. Like, you brought up Montana. You guys are still as long as you as long as you access the river right at a public place and stay below the relative high water mark, you can go where you want, right? Correct. But like you're not welcome with open arms when you go wherever you want. No, no, right. you will. You will. Uh, <laughs> certain landowners will make you uncomfortable, but they can't do anything about it. Right. Right. Well, see where that goes, man. I think uh, the, the donation is helpful and. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure they'll be. I mean, I'm probably up spitting on that. in the wind there. It's it's more symbolic than yeah, anything else. But I'm but, gonna I'm gonna know, give them money just because of I, I believe in what they're trying to do. I'm with that. I but I also think that people don't realize, you know, you don't think about how often that kind of stuff happens. Whereas, and I'm not I'm not plugging it, but like um, Audix Hunt, like when you when you get that, and you you look at those those maps as opposed to just like going around on Google Maps and seeing what's what. Like it's amazing when you see what's landlocked. All over the place. Mm-hmm. Like there are so many places I've seen. I was just at one the other day where like it's all state land except for right here. That's weird. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And oh yeah. 
with without that technology and without that ability, you wouldn't I, I would have had no idea. And dude could have came down and shot me or had me arrested or whatever. And I would have been like, what are you talking about? This is a wildlife management area. But no, like that 100 yards of riverbank was not. So, I mean, huh. between private land that's landlocked and state land that's landlocked, there is a ton of land out there that technically every single one of us can be on, but you ain't getting to it. Now, granted, nope. most of it nobody needs to be on. There's no lake or stream or river there, but that is incredibly common. Um, yep. So with that, I, I will say if you, if you, if you want to avoid this, when we're all living on the moon, act fast and buy buy your plots of land now. Because you you go to Canada, I'm uh, going to I'm the moon. I'm so glad baby. you're covering this story, man. Because this this was on my short list, and it's I, a good one. I'm going to the moon, and, uh, and we I, missed. I, we didn't cross over. We on didn't this. cross so over. So I was happy. worried. I was like, if he's going to have anyone, it's going to be this one. Uh, shout out though to listener Derek Arneson. He actually sent this to me uh, before I even saw it in the news. I got a little tip off from him. So thanks for that. And it wasn't that long ago when we talked about robot fish building our future homes on Mars. That was that was Correct. your story. Um, but but now the, the moon the moon is apparently campaigning saying, wait a second, don't go to Mars. Come to the moon. You know what I mean? It's like it's, it's like it's like steps. it's like Acapulco tourism, like trying to talk you out of going to Mazatlan. You know, what I mean, like they're both beautiful <laughs> and scary, and you're not really sure which one is safer. Uh, anyway. So this story comes to us from the website of Hakai Magazine headline, The Plan to Rear Fish on the Moon. Now, this is a long story, so I'm going to try and break her down. But what's happening here is French researchers are trying to figure out if it would be possible to grow fish on the moon. And they want to do this to feed residents of the future moon village, which is apparently something the European Space Agency is trying to establish. And I don't know anything about that, but like I said, like now I'm nervous. Should I be buying a plot now? Like, will it be too late? Like right now, I just like, you know, when you fly over development, like there's just driveways mapped out, like where the uh -huh. pool will be. Like that's, yep. I think that's, that's probably as far as they've gotten, if even that far. Um, anyway, uh, Cyril Shabilla is the dude in charge of all this. And he's hoping that uh, it will offer an alternative to dried food for the people who uh, will eventually live on in Moon Village. And uh, he also says it's possible that a lunar fish farm could actually use water that's already on the moon to, to thrive. So like they'll be able, I, I don't know if it's like an aquaculture deal, but apparently they're going to use water on the moon. So, so far, no fish eggs have been launched into space, but they are conducting simulations, again, just on eggs, not, not mature fish, to see which species would be most likely to survive the journey. So basically what that means is they're taking fish eggs and they're shaking the shit out of them. They're just they're shaking just the hell out of them. just shaking them. Like, like the same way they'd get shook during liftoff <laughs> on a rocket. Okay. And uh, to whittle down their choices, what they looked for were, were fish that had um, modest oxygen requirements, low carbon dioxide output, a short hatching time and resistance to charged particles, which matters because according to this, like you're exposed to a fair amount of radiation during space travel, right? So after the testing, they monitor these eggs to see which have the best hatch rates after all this, this, this vigorous testing and shaking. And the two finalists are European sea bass and a fish called a meager. I think that's how you say that. Um, okay, you're making me feel better because I had never heard of that fish. Had you heard of that fish? Nope, I had not heard of the fish. 
I, I okay. researched the fish. I'm going to tell you something about the fish, but at, at first glad. reading, I'm like, what is a meager? Miagre. Never heard of Mi- it. Mi- it could be Miagre. Yeah. Could be. Could There's, be. Dude, this news is, I have more to come. It's going to be chock full of like, could be this, could be that. I don't know. But I'm just going to say meager. Uh, that's what. That's how I'm reading it. Anyway, Shabila believes these two species might have done the best in testing because they are naturally exposed to strong currents and waves in their environments and frequently experience collisions with hard surfaces. So while you listeners might not know what those species are, I found this fascinating because what they are are the European versions of striped bass and sea trout. Like a European- Oh, no way. Yes. A European sea bass, which is also just sometimes referred to as a European bass, um, which is something I've always wanted to catch. I've always wanted to catch one. Uh, I, I tried to con an old editor into sending me. Long story, he said, no, you're not going over there to do that. But anyway, uh, they look almost identical to stripers, but they have no stripes. So like picture a striper with no stripes. That's a European sea bass. Um, and they live on the jagged, rocky coast of Britain and France and Spain in strikingly similar conditions uh, to those around like the famed Montauk Rocks and, and Block Island. Um, so I, that was interesting. That speaks to the hardiness of, of striped bass. They don't get mm-hmm. as big, like, I, I think like a 20 pounder is huge. Like they don't get 50 pounders, at least not anymore, but same deal, man. Casting around the rocks over there, uh, same, same habitat. Uh, now the meager surprised me though, because that's a croaker. Um, and I always think of sea trout and, and weak fish over here and so on as being pretty fragile. So I would have yeah. to do I'd have to do more research on on the meager. But if you've ever lifted, I know you have like lifted a sea trout out of the water, like they're not solid like a striper. No. They're not like you can't like give them a punch and send them back. They're like they're like mushy. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't feel like they're tolerant. Not that I give them a punch. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Damn. But I feel like. <laughs> Uh, compose. Continue. I know. Continue. <laughs> I I just don't feel like, as we've recently seen, like in Texas, like with sea trout, I don't feel like their tolerance for temp changes or or probably radiation or getting banged around would would be the same. But what do I know? The the meager might be different. Um, I do wonder though, like like if 100 years from now, like we'll be on the American side of the moon throwing spooks and darters, like acting like we're the shit. You know what I mean? And just like making fun of them dabbling their little red gill teasers on the other side of the moon for their European bass that don't I get sure as big so. as striker. I, I do mean, too. That, when I read this, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> and when do I get to go fishing on the moon? Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, by the time I got through it, I was like, uh, probably not in my lifetime. Yeah, but still. no, I, yeah, I'm like, oh, this is actually like a giant fantasy and none of this is happening anytime soon. <laughs> no, uh, no. But I will say final thought, Cyril, you need to like, dude, you got to come over here and study some snake heads and some Asian carps. Because you could literally drop them into whatever water is already on the moon, like just open the space station door and drop them in there, and, and like good. they'll be fine. I, they yeah. w- they will reproduce. I promise. We promise. We'll have snakeheads crawling through. Like you'll you'll see little lines on the moon through the the the, the, the moon dust. It'll just be snakeheads yes. cruising around from lake to lake. Yeah. That's what's so what's gonna be? There you go. Fish on the moon.
O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. I'm going to go from, from really, really far-flung, like the most far-flung fish you could imagine to, to at least for me, a really close to home fish. Uh, the most coveted fishing record in my home state of Montana stood for 55. Oh yeah. Bring it on. I knew this was coming back in 1966. E H bacon, who was known as peck landed a 29 pound brown trout from Wade Lake, which is near the Madison river. And I gotta say Wade is still damn good fishing lake, but it hasn't put out a monster fish since the seventies, right? It just, it's yeah. changed. Yeah. And I've heard more than one person, a lot of people actually lament that the days of truly big fish in Montana are over. And, and so that, that brown trout record would likely stand forever. Mm-hmm. But last week proved them all wrong. Yep. Yep. Cause sure that did. record was broken. When Robbie Doctor landed a 37 inch, 32 pound, six ounce brown. Beast of a fish. And, uh, it's it's, yeah. it's if, gargantuan. If you, you want to see it's, photos oh. of this thing, and, and you do, you got to go check out the article that Sam Lundgren wrote about it on the media.com. It's, it's a hell of a fish. It really is. But uh, I also really like the story behind it. 
Like I, I think there's a great story to go along with the great fish, which doesn't always happen. Since the record was was last set in 1966, Montana's turned into, you know, arguably the prime destination for tourist trout fishing in the country. Few people, tens of thousands, yeah, a few couple, couple people, yeah, show up. Tens of thousands of people come here every year to to, <laughs> to fish, and and they spend huge sums of money to chase big trout, and and we got some private lakes and ponds and some private creeks. And, and we've got all these, 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 these guides, thousands of them who take paying clients out on public waters all season. And I'm not dogging on, on the fishing industry here that, that, that relies on tourists. I'm really not because I worked in it for a long time and it's a big part of our economy. There's nothing wrong with that at all, but I got to say, it makes me really happy to report that the new record Brown was not caught by a traveling angler. Mm-hmm. Not by someone who spent a ton of money to come out here and do it, but by mm-hmm. just a local dude. Just a dude. That's yeah. just a dude. Just a dude. So Robbie Doctor, he works as a lineman for Sun River Electric, and he's like we said, he's a dude about our age who loves to fish. And he and his 13 year old daughter Sierra get out on the water together every Wednesday after he finishes work. According to Doctor, his daughter is a stud who catches big fish and kills big deer. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a quote. Uh, yeah. Last Wednesday, they went out for their usual evening session. Around 7:30, Doctor was fishing a brown trout cast master spoon on four-pound test when his line stopped with what he described as just nasty heavy weight. When they got the fish close enough to see it roll in their headlamps, Doctor's young daughter blurted out, Holy shit! <laughs> which surprised her father because according to him, she don't cuss. Doctor took the net from Sierra and relieved her of, of the serious pressure of capturing a fish like that for her dad. I, I appreciate that he did that. It was like, no, no, I got this. So he managed to land it all by himself on that four pound test, which is really impressive. Yeah. And I'm just going to say, if anyone was going to break the, the record Montana brown trout, this is, I could not have scripted a better way for it to happen than that right there. Totally. I could not have come up with a better way. Totally. Now, lots of other outlets, including our website, have uh, outed the name of the waterway where this fish was caught, but I cannot bring myself to do that. I'm not judging others for doing it, but I personally just, like, I can't say it. Uh, I fished that spot off and on for a very long time. And the truth is there aren't all that many fish there, but there are some really big ones, though I will be completely transparent with everybody listening and say, I never thought it had a fish that big in it. I knew there were big fish in there, but I didn't think it was like... I feel like a lot like of people that. that catch fish like that are like, oh, never would have thought that was in there. No, that, it's the kind of place where you're like, yeah, if you're going to run into a 10-pounder, it might happen there, but a 30-pounder? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, and you know... The place, it's gotten some some publicity over the years, like kind of words gotten out a little bit. and But now with the new record being caught there, I, I just, I'm not going back because I expect it's going to just like totally overrun and there just aren't enough fish in that spot to for wait, the number wait, of people who are going to be chasing le- them. Which, let's be honest, is stupid and short-sighted. That's like some, like, you think you're going to go catch a bigger one tomorrow? Like, <laughs> I, I, I never got I mean, that. I mean, yeah. It's 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 just what's going to happen, and it makes me a little bit sad. But what doesn't make me sad is this story because I'm I am seriously happy for Robbie and Sierra. That's that's oh, how that yeah. should have happened, and I'm yeah. glad it did. I also have to say, is it terrible that I love that it was caught on a Castmaster? No, 
Not at all. Like I think that that's so anti-Montana, and I I just love it. I just love it. I think <laughs> it's, it's terrific. It's, could not have happened better. You know, because and I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like be specific because I don't I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad, but like there have been instances with big records where like the dude who gets it makes it known that like it's his life work to catch this record. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. And then for some reason when it happens. I don't know. I'm just not that excited. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not that exciting. And yep. we've, how many times have we just talked about how just generally speaking, we're not into records. Like, you know, you report on them when they happen, but like, this is like, this is, this is the, like the dream record scenario, just complete humble, like, no, like just take your kid fishing. Like, I almost feel like that dude deserves it more than some dude who's like, like makes it his life work to find that fish. Oh, absolutely. I mean, deserve is a tough word, but it, it, I'm happier that it went that way than the other way. Because I don't think my issue is so much with records is record chasing. Right. That just doesn't do it for me. So but when record chasers get the record, I'm like, meh, of course. But yeah. when when <laughs> when Robbie Doctor gets it, taking his daughter Sierra fishing on a Wednesday night, I'm like, hell yeah. That's amazing. Oh, man. Like, how, like, how old is that fish? You probably know I, the trout biology better than I do. I'm assuming. I don't mean to put I mean, you on the spot. I mean, trout rarely live beyond a decade. Right. I know that much. I'd, right. I'd be curious to, to get that fish age and find out how old it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you said the other one wasn't going to fall. Is that ever going to fall in Montana? I mean, like that, you know. I don't know, man. I don't know. I wouldn't say it won't, but I, I I wouldn't bet money on it happening anytime soon. Yeah, but stories like that also, like another thing that they're very good for is like putting that in your head. It's like, man, I, you really don't know what's out there. You know what nope. I'm saying? Nope. Like it, it, nope. It, it, it I, I underestimated it. The magic of fishing anywhere we go, it's like you think you know what lives in there, and you just you you, you, you don't you, you don't you don't. So um, Castmaster took that one. I'm going to suggest maybe. Uh, couple other lures here. I'd be real impressed if somebody caught a record anything on. That was not a great transition, but that's that's <laughs> it's what I it's what I got. We got you there. We got we got to keep things moving here. Uh so when you and I were kids and uh, people listening too, I'm sure like some we, we had Snoopy Bobbers. You know what I mean? Did you have a Snoopy Bobber? Yep. I had a Snoopy Bobber. No. But I remember. Oh, okay. <laughs> you didn't actually have one. I was just straight red and white, man. I had the standard bobbers. I didn't have I didn't have the fancy bobbers. You okay. Me? All right. So all right. So some of us maybe had Snoopy bobbers or like a Ninja Turtle rod and reel, and like maybe even later in life, you had one of those Coors Light shaped crankbaits. You know, remember those, right? Or yes, like lining kugels. But yes, I remember that. Same. Okay. Same deal. Or like your dad gifted you the Joe Camel lure after he smoked enough cartons to earn it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, but yes, I think I remember that so one what, too. What I'm what. What I'm driving at here, though, is that I think with all these like brand or character driven pieces of tackle um, that we have here in America, I think most of it just we look at those as they're either a novelty or it's for the kids. Right. Like if if a My Little Pony rod gets your little girl excited to get on the water, rock and roll. Right. And what is what has not really happened uh, in the U.S. and I hope it never does is this weird sort of crossing over of fishing tackle with like super trendy or, or pop culture driven brands that have absolutely nothing to do with fishing. But this is actually happening quite a bit lately um, in Japan. And it seems like owning fishing stuff, whether you use it or not, whether you fish or not, 
it, it, there's enough uh, uh, desire for that that it's becoming a big enough business that crossovers are appealing to tackle manufacturers that you would think like w- wouldn't have any reason to do this or or be bothered to even entertain the idea. Now here's an example, right? So recently, Daiwa teamed up with a company called Bape, which is a shortened version of Bathing Ape, according to my research. And uh, like all, all, all they are is like a clothing and housewares company in Japan, and their bread and butter is like T-shirts and throw pillows and drinkware. You know, it's like a, it's like it's like a Japanese version of Urban Outfitters. You know, what mm-hmm. I'm like I don't know if you know, like which is yeah, we all know is just a one-stop shop for hipsters that like kind of want a garden, like maybe want to try a skateboard. They're not sure, like want to purchase cassette tapes without risking getting tetanus at the flea market, like I <laughs> used to. Uh, anyway, Daiwa, and this is like Daiwa, Daiwa collaborated uh, with Bape on a custom zillion bait caster they called the Fishing Ape, which sold for 40,000 yen, which is almost $400 US, and they all sold out. So if Bape had some no-name reel maker, make a bunch of reels, fine, but this is Daiwa, and this is happening with many other well-known tackle makers over there, creating um, lure lines for fashion brands and stuff like that that are like joint sold on the on the fashion brand. Yeah, it's weird. Um so anyway, the latest collab, which popped up in my newsfeed, is from Duo Lures, uh, and any serious bass heads listening will recognize that uh, Duo's Realis line. They have spy baits, swim baits, jerk baits, y- you name it, and it's all very available in the U.S. and even on several of our big online tackle sites. Um, I, don't, I don't know. You ever heard of Duo Lures? Yeah, but I don't. I've never fished them. Yeah, I, I I have. I've fished a few. I've gotten my hands on a few, and it's I mean it's top shelf stuff, like badass lures from japan well duo might be the luckiest of the collaborators because it appears they have scored the pokemon license oh no yes right and according to the website hypebeast duo is making two pokemon top waters and like you know some of you right now are like which ones tell us which ones which ones (laughs) mom where's the money i got for my birthday right but anyway uh so naturally you've got pikachu and he Or she, I don't really know what sex Pikachu is. No um, idea. Is, is modeled after the jitterbug and has a removable tail uh, with an extra stinger treble on the back. So you can opt out of his little lightning bolt tail uh, and have three trebles on your jitterbug instead of the traditional two. And then they've also done Kyogre? Kyogre? Uh, don't look at me. I, 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 I know, I'm looking at you. <laughs> I know. I, somebody help. Mommy doesn't even know how to say Kyogre. You know what I mean? <laughs> I got uh, nothing on the Pokemon, I know, dude. I don't know. I don't either. And and that one is a crawler style topwater, you know? It's like Yeah. You know, so with the little wings and 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 anyway, look, like I said, these are not like novelties completely though, because these are really well made lures right. like, with really right. good components. Like design, like finely crafted by a company that is known for finely crafted lures, and these are not like the two ninety nine cores can. So if you if you can get your hands on them, which spoiler alert, you cannot. The first run is way 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 sold out. So if you were thinking party favors, you're you're shit out of luck. It's not happening. Uh, but you'd be spending twenty three bucks for the Pikachu and forty six for the Kyogre, which is. Uh, significantly more money than just like what a duo realis jerkbait will cost you on tackle warehouse. Okay, that was I was gonna ask if there's a, a markup for the there's a markup the for all of this branding. Like the like the zillion reel, if you do the math, the, the bape zillion reel 
was almost 100 bucks more than if you just went to Daiwa and bought a zillion bait caster. So all of this is, is significantly marked up once it's co-branded with this stuff, right? And then, like, oh, this, this hype beast thing, there was also this weird link to Duo's, like, secret backdoor project site. So like, it's this whole secret lore thing. And I thought that was bad enough with people just clamoring to get hard, you know, hard-to-get Japanese lures that they actually might fish. But now, right, so I just, I find it all fascinating and weird. But I, I don't see it working here. Because like if it's cheap, nobody wants it. You know what I mean? Like nobody cares about the John Deere hula popper. They'll just buy the color that they want if it's the same price. And likewise, nobody is paying extra money for the Hollister branded pen reel here. So this yeah. is like a very no. uniquely Japanese thing. Um, but I, I don't know. I just find it fascinating that like lures are now becoming, I don't know, just like a thing, like a like a house plant, like things that people want that have nothing to do with fishing. Yeah, I can't. I can't understand that. This is a good example of why, like, I'm not a business whiz. Because if someone had come to me and be like, "Hey, I got an idea. <laughs> you want to invest ethics. in that?" I'd yeah. be like, uh, <laughs> "No, that sounds like a terrible idea." And clearly, they're selling out in a different market very well. So, uh, shows what I don't know. Yeah, and there's dude. There's videos of these Pokemon lures. Aside from the fact that they're Pokemon lures, like moving through the water. I mean, they look bad. Like they will get chewed. Like, the, like the friggin' jitterbug Pikachu. Like, that looks fishy as shit. Like, it will get hammered. I, I'm sure it will. But, but why would I pay the extra for the, the the Pikachu? I wouldn't. You you wouldn't. But there's another video, and I can't understand it because it's in Japanese. But like, the president of Duo looks very excited about this collaboration, <laughs> which I understand because it's Pokemon. Like, you're gonna sell. Like, you thought the dude with the other thing with the bape is making money. You're gonna sell some Pokemon lore. So yeah. good on them for working yeah. that one out. For sure. And that's the one I'm hoping, Phil, are you into Pokemon? I'm banking on it. I don't know. <laughs> if Phil, I've I would take that you, as an I'm insult, sorry. by the way. <laughs> and I am I am insulted on your behalf. Moving on. <laughs> anyway, Phil, whether you're uh, offended or you just, you're just online right now trying to get one of those lures some way. Um, he's not even listening anymore. He's just, I know. He's just back ordering. I know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what my fate is. And uh, after we hear from Phil... We're going to do a little fin clips and talk about a buffalo soldier most of you guys probably have never heard of. Miles, thank you for sticking up for me because, Joe, I don't know what about me would make you think that I'm the kind of person who would know that a Pikachu is a species and therefore can be male or female, or that Kyogre is a legendary water Pokemon first introduced in Gen 3 and was the cover Pokemon for Pokemon Sapphire on the Game Boy Advance. But, you know, much like those nerds who play Pokemon, I'll do a little role-playing here and pretend to be someone who is interested in any of that bullcrap and say, Oh, Joe, you're the winner. Thanks for letting me know about all these really cool lures. <laughs> Let's see. Still out of stock. Damn it. Big Mouth Buffalo are kind of a sleeper fish even though they're found from southwestern Canada to Louisiana, can go more than 70 pounds and pull like a goddamn freight train, they've never really caught on as a sport fish. If you have ever seen or heard of a big mouth buffalo, there's a good chance you either mistook it for a common carp or someone told you it was a carp. I'm going to let Stephen Rinella set you straight on that. Buffalo ain't carp. Got that? Good, because it's an important distinction. If you're in the camp of miscategorizing this fish, you're not alone. Their Latin name is Ictiobus cipronellus. Cipronellus means small carp, so people have been misnaming this fish for a very long time. To be fair, 
They do look a little like a common carp. They have large scales, broad shoulders, big rubbery lips, and a generally similar profile. But bigmouth buffalo are actually the largest member of the sucker family, and unlike carp, they are very much native to North America. Being native, they're an important component of the ecosystems and food webs. Young buffalo are common prey for sport fish like bass, walleye, pike, and muskie. As they get bigger, they have fewer natural predators, but the 123-pound world record flathead catfish caught in Kansas in 1998 had a 15-pound bigmouth buffalo in its gut. Strangely enough, that flathead was caught as bycatch by a crappie angler, which just validates the fact that catfish eat anything from 15-pound fish to minnows. Buffalo themselves are primarily filter feeders, meaning they don't usually target and attack prey. They kind of eat like humpback whales, swimming around, sucking in water, and filtering out whatever food items they come up with, mostly insects and zooplankton. This is part of the reason they haven't caught on with anglers. Targeting fish that don't key in on prey is difficult. More on that later. They are, however, sometimes caught on crankbaits, most often in the spring. Two people have shown me photographic evidence of bigmouth buffalo landed with crankbaits hooked in their mouths. I've also heard quite a few unconfirmed rumors from folks who claim to catch them on cranks and other lures with some regularity. But if you ask Alec Lackman, one of the foremost buffalo biologists about this, he'll tell you he's unsure. Alec studied a fair number of buffalo and has never seen compelling evidence that buffalo target and attack smaller fish. Since they swim around with their mouths open much of the time, they might accidentally get impaled by a passing hook. Or it's also possible that they might switch up their diets and seek out higher protein food options in certain situations. That's still an open question. One of many when it comes to buffalo. See, even though they're a native fish common across much of the U.S., buffalo have been ignored by almost everybody, including fisheries biologists. If you look them up, you can find academic resources right now that claim these fish live 10 to 15 years and exhibit spawning behavior similar to most other suckers. But that's just not true. In 2019, Alec Lackman, the biologist I mentioned earlier, radiocarbon dated the otoliths, or ear bones, from bigmouth buffalo harvested by bow fishers from some lakes in his home state of Minnesota. The oldest fish he recorded was 112. Before catching an arrow, that fish had survived two world wars, the Great Depression, Prohibition, the entire space program, 53 Super Bowls, and the invention of the internet. Despite living through all that, the fish was in excellent condition, which really begs the question, how long can these fish live? No one knows. Finding such an old fish was shocking, but equally shocking was what Lackman didn't find. In the Pelican Lakes and River System where he did his research, Lackman discovered that almost 90% of the fish are 80 years or older. He found a few fish in their early 40s and none younger than that, which means the buffalo haven't been consistently reproducing there since the 30s and haven't reproduced at all since the late 70s. The reasons for this aren't yet defined, but right around that time, dams were going up and common carp were starting to proliferate. The dams might have changed the hydrology of the area enough that buffalo can't find the right spawning habitat, and the carp might be crowding them out of their spawning grounds. At least for now, it's all still an open question. Lackman has concluded that buffalo employ a reproductive strategy called periodic recruitment, meaning that they live a really long time, but only spawn when conditions are near optimal. Sturgeon do something similar. 
Lackman and some colleagues published a paper that made kind of a stir and finally, finally got people talking about and interested in buffalo. And that includes me. I hardly even knew these fish existed before 2019. And ever since then, I've been freaking mesmerized by their creepy black doll eyes. Ryan Callahan and I got so geeked out on these fish that we decided to do a whole DOS boat episode on them, which is how I ended up getting to know Alec. Though I got to spend a few days fishing for buffalo, I never completely sealed the deal. These fish pull hard, and every single one I stuck either broke me off or bent out my hooks. In my mind, buffalo could be the next obsession fish for anglers who love a challenge. They're big, powerful, and smart. You can sight fish for them. They will feed on the surface in the right conditions. They're like milk fish, except you don't have to spend four days and 20 grand flying to Seychelles to cast to them. I also hear they make exceptional table fare and that barbecued buffalo ribs are a delicacy. Just make sure you're taking them from a population that's reproducing and don't kill the octogenarians. Despite my failures, buffalo can be consistently taken on hook and line. I got to know a guy in Minneapolis who catches them with a souped-up tenkara rod and chunks of inflated nightcrawlers. It works. I saw it, but I'm convinced that there are other ways. And to me, that's probably the most intriguing thing about these fish. The playbook for them has yet to be written. They're an utterly common exotic sport fish. Except right now, they're classified as rough fish in most places, meaning they get very little management attention and often have no harvest limits. Buffalo are a favorite target of bow fishers who, like just about everyone else, assume that they're carp and that removing them in mass is not just fun, but beneficial to ecosystems. These fish need advocates, so please, Find out if you have them in your local waters. Learn the difference between a buffalo and a carp and test your skills on them. And if you figure it out, give me a shout. I might just show up for a visit. All right. I'm going to ask the question that I know you're waiting for. What the hell did that segment have to do with this week's theme? How are you tying this one? I am so glad you (laughs) asked, Joe. I appreciate that. Well... Gross Point Blank revolves around the main character trying to figure out his identity, right? Hi, how are you? Yeah. I, uh, I'm a pet psychiatrist. Yeah. yeah. I, I sell couch insurance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, and, I, and, I, and I test market positive thinking. And I lead a weekend men's group. We specialize in ritual killings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And, and then in the end, if he wants to save himself and get the girl and, and, and live the happily ever after thing... He has to reclaim his identity. Mm. So you're making an analogy with the fact that Buffalo have been given this invasive carp identity. And if we want to save them, what, like they need to go back to being what they actually are, native, like non-invasive suckers? Nailed it. Uh, Yes, exactly. Huh. Listen, I'm going to do a Say Anything theme next week. Full on Lloyd Dobler. (laughs) Yes. I, I support and, that. And Diane Court will represent the hog Larry at the country club that you shouldn't be fishing. <laughs> How's that? Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I appreciated that. And I don't know if more or less people will get those references. Yeah, uh, me either. But there, there is not a single person listening right now that won't know the lure you're about to cover in this week's end of the line. Because whether you love it or hate it, you just keep buying them. Fishy, 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 fishy! Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. Sankos, where do you stand 
Are they a miracle lore, or have they made it so easy for people to catch bass that they're a cheat? Or are you in the middle? Is it okay when you catch a big bass on a wacky rigged Senko, but lame when someone else does it? Do you scoff at Senkos while keeping a stash of them in your bag as an insurance policy? When you do catch a fish worthy of an Instapost, are you keeping the Senko in its mouth and owning it? Or are you going to be vague and maybe throw up a hashtag megabass? No matter where you stand, don't rush to judgment on what our bud Mike Iconelli refers to as the magic hot dog. Recently, Meat Eater's fishing editor, my buddy Sam Lundgren, penned a detailed piece for the TheMeatEater.com proposing that the Senko is, in fact, the greatest soft plastic ever created. And per Sam's story, the Senko hit the market in 1996, and Gary Yamamoto reportedly took inspiration from a Bic pen to create some of the earliest Senko molds. At the time, there were other soft stick baits on the market, such as the Sluggo, but Yamamoto played with the weight, density, buoyancy, and a slew of other details to create a lure that pretty much any angler of any skill level can use to catch big bass. The caveat is that it's not just the lure, but how you rig it. It's effective rig Texas style or on a jig head or Carolina style or weedless, but it's fair to say none of those methods activate the magic like wacky rigging. To wacky rig a Cinco, tie a small short shank hook on the end of your line and just run it right through the center of the bait there, perpendicular to the body. That's it. There's no bullet weights or split shot or nails or specialty terminal tackle. Just simply cast that weightless Cinco out and let it fall. And as it does, it will undulate and it will wobble. And if you don't get smoked on the drop, let the bait just sit on the bottom, maybe even for like a full minute, because it's not uncommon for a fish to just suck it up while it's laying there lifeless. And if one doesn't, slightly lift the rod and give it a very short hop and repeat this slow grind until eventually that lure makes it back to the boat. In a nutshell, that's wacky rigging. And for many reasons that are more speculation than fact, bass can rarely leave a wacky rigged Senko alone. And because it's productive minus a lot of effort on your part, it has helped coin the term do-nothing bait in the bass fishing world. Interestingly, many people associate the invention of the Senko with the advent of wacky rigging, but that's not really accurate. Anglers have been casting plastic worms hooked through the middle since the original cream worm hit the market in 1949, but nobody was making a fuss about it or giving it any sort of label. Believe it or not, many bass fishing historians trace the origin of the wacky rig craze to New Jersey and a lure called the Jersey Rig. Jersey rigs were developed by Jeff Camerino, and they look shockingly similar to a Senko, though a little shorter and stubbier. Now today, packs of these baits are highly coveted on eBay, and they maintain a cult following, with many cult members claiming they're far more effective than the Senko. In fact, in the right circles, if you say wacky rig, somebody will say, oh, you mean Jersey rig. Camerino never had a website, working only via mail order and accepting only checks, but the Jersey rig still caught on within bass circles because when hooked through the middle, they really shined on the highly pressured lakes throughout the Northeast. Now, Camerino was pumping out his Jersey rigs right around the time the Senko debuted. And that's not to suggest the Yamamoto ripped off the Jersey rig because many companies develop similar lures, but rather that the marketing juice and ability to get product in so many more hands helped the Senko corner the market and grab the spotlight. Now, there's no shortage of Senko imitators out there today, like Berkeley's The General and the Strike King Ocho, just to name a few, and they're good. I've caught fish on them. 
but I've yet to find a stick bait that I would say matches the productivity and ability to draw a strike when nothing else seems to quite like the Senko. And I've also heard that the exact formula for a Senko is guarded like the recipe for Coca-Cola, and I believe that. Because while it's easy to look at a Senko and call it dumb or call it simple, if you think of the tinkering that had to be done to make it so effective, it's actually an engineering marvel. Now, as for me, I mean, I love Senkos, and I never bass fish without them. And they may not be what I tie on first, but when the bite I hope for isn't materializing, I can't tie one on fast enough. So am I cheating every time I do that? Would you discredit my personal best home water smallie because I caught it on a wacky rigged Senko, which, by the way, I did? In my opinion, that would be dumb. Because while we love to kick around this term, do-nothing lure, there is no lure that is truly do-nothing and productive every single time. A wacky rigged Senko may help a lot of people get luckier than they would have, but most of the time, the lure isn't enough, and it won't do you much good if you don't know exactly where to throw it, how aggressively or subtly to work it, exactly what kind of gear you should throw it on in different situations, and a whole bunch of other things that you really only learn through time on the water. And once they invent a lure that you can literally cast anywhere, at any time, in any water, and it catches fish every single time you send it out there, well, hell, I quit. Well, that brings us to the end of our John Cusack and Mini Driver reunion special. But if Siskel and Ebert were giving out thumbs that didn't get turned into lures, this one would <laughs> definitely get two-pointed straight up for incorporating <laughs> fishing's most closely guarded secret formula, the hottest new fish that may have been around longer than your grandparents, how I'm most likely going to die by serial killer, and... <laughs> antiquated laws about knitting oh man as always send your bar nominations salmon items awkward fishing photos and csi anonymous tips to bent at the remember to drop the degenerate angler and bent podcast hashtags on your social posts maybe uh tag gross point blank and do yourself a favor go watch that movie this week it is straight brilliant yeah i have to agree that we'll see how many gross point tags there are uh but miles has convinced me it's some sleeper gold and for those of you gearing up for your 10-year reunions in a couple months here's some helpful advice go see some old friends have some punch visit with what's her name debbie debbie don't kill anybody for a few days see what it feels like You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. <laughs> 